Well, good morning. It is a great uh, joy to be with you all uh, here this morning, and uh, I'm uh, pleased that my family is able to join with, join with me as well. I think the last time I was here, I was here by myself without my family, so it's good to have at least most of my family here uh, this morning. What a joy to be able to sing, uh, Jesus, what a friend of sinners. You know, I certainly qualify. I have fallen short of the glory of God. I am, I am a sinner. And isn't that good news? That Jesus is a friend of sinners. Let's remember that even as we take out the Lord's Word uh, this morning. Or follow along in your... It may be up on the screen as well, I'm not sure. But uh, we'll be reading in Luke chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? to those who ask him. Amen. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we do come asking for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you have promised your spirit wherever two or more are gathered in your name. And so, Father, we ask that you would this morning rend the heavens, that you would open up the heavens, if you will, and come down and meet with us, your people, that you would bless us and that you would bless the reading and the, the preaching and the teaching of your word to our hearts and our lives. Father, I pray that we might love prayer and love the work of Christ on the cross even more as a result of being together this morning. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There may be no topic in the Christian life like prayer to remind us that we're sinners, <laughs> right? We're talking about how I qualify as a sinner and that Jesus is a friend of sinners and how great and glorious news that is. Well, there may be no topic that shows us how we fall short 
quite like prayer. I dare say if we went around the room this morning and I asked for a show of hands, is who here would say they pray as often as they ought to pray? Or as eloquently as they ought to pray? Or as fervently as they ought to pray? Who here uh, would raise your hand? My, my guess is very few of us would. There are very few things in the Christian life quite like prayer that shows us our inadequacies and how far we fall short. And so it may be somewhat surprising then that I am preaching on prayer this morning uh, to come in and take up this topic. And I tell you right from the beginning that I'm doing so as one who falls short in this area. I'm not coming to you as an expert, one who has got prayer all figured out, and, I've, and I do it as often as I, as I should, and, and I've got all those boxes checked, and I pray as fervently as I ought, and, and all the rest, right? Uh, no, I am like you. We all fall short in this area of prayer. And so what I want to do this morning is two things, primarily, and uh, there will be a three-point sermon following under the second, or, or maybe, yeah, the second point, I guess, this morning. But um, don't let that fool you. But two main goals that I have this morning in thinking through prayer with you. One is I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you with the example of the disciples here in Luke chapter 11. If you have your Bible still open, look at, at chapter, I mean, excuse me, at verse 1 of chapter 11. Here we're told that Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples, oftentimes I think we read that and we think that they were simply off at a distance, right? The disciples were and Jesus was off by himself and he was praying and the disciples were able to see him from a distance and see him pray and based on watching him pray, they were convicted. And I think there may be some truth to that. No doubt they were watching him pray, right? And there was something, no doubt, in the way he prayed. His face, perhaps, was so taken up with the glory of God in communion with his heavenly Father. Perhaps it just radiated. And there was something about being caught up into heaven with his, with his heavenly Father that convicted the disciples. That, no, that no doubt, is true. But I think there's more here than we sometimes realize. I want to argue um, that prayer was oral in ancient Near Eastern culture. Almost everything was oral in ancient Near Eastern culture. Uh, even reading was done out loud. I want to suggest to you that prayer was also something done out loud. So the disciples were not simply watching Jesus pray from a distance. They were hearing him pray as well. Well, what basis do I have for that? Well, you may remember the story of Hannah and uh, Elkanah. There was a man, Elkanah, who had two wives. You remember Hannah was one of them and Penina was the other. Penina, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're told, had many children. She was fertile. She was able to have children. Hannah had none. The Lord had not opened her womb. And she was grieved by that. And Penina, as oftentimes happens in our families, used that to give Hannah a hard time. And so Hannah was vexed over her barrenness and no doubt beseeched the Lord on numerous occasions. But we're told in 1 Samuel chapter 1 that on one occasion, going up to Shiloh, going up to the temple, 
to offer sacrifices. Elkanah brought both, uh, brought his whole family, Hannah and Penina, uh, and the children, no doubt, and the rest, and they all go in. But Hannah uh, apparently goes into the temple, we're told, and she begins to pour her heart out to the Lord, asking for him to open her womb and grant her children. And we're told that Eli the priest was there watching. And he thought she was drunk. I love the way that the text reads. She prayed, something like she prayed silently. Her lips were moving. No words were coming out. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. Isn't that beautiful? You see what the idea seems to be communicating is Eli expected if she's standing to pray or if she's praying in the temple, he's going to hear her pray. The fact that she was praying silently is clue number one that there's something wrong here and he assumes she must be drunk because anybody who comes to the temple would ordinarily be praying out loud. And so I think if we take that as an idea that shows us something of how uh, of the oral nature the out loud, the oral nature of ancient Near Eastern civilization. And so more than likely, the fact that Jesus was praying here uh, with his disciples, they were not only watching him pray, but they were hearing him pray as well. And in seeing him and hearing his turn of phrase, listening to the words he's using, the passion, the fervency with which he's using them, right? They're cut to the heart. And they realize, we don't know the first thing about prayer. And isn't that an encouragement? You and I, I think so often, look at the disciples as though this, uh, if you will, they were the, the, the super uh, disciples of Christ, right? They were super Christians. They were the men who walked and talked with Jesus. They were discipled by the Lord himself. We oftentimes look at first century Christianity as the the golden age of Christianity. And yet here we see the super Christians, so to speak, right, struggling in the exact same ways that you and I struggle. They realized in hearing and seeing Jesus, they didn't know, they didn't pray often enough. They didn't pray fervently enough. They didn't pray eloquently enough. And they needed to be taught. And so as we come thinking about this, I want to encourage you with the fact that what you and I struggle with is nothing new. This is not a 21st century phenomenon. This is not a 20th century phenomenon in the church. This has been something that brothers and sisters of ours for generations, ever since the very beginning, we've always struggled with prayer. Or we might better say prayerlessness. And so the other thing I want to encourage you with is not just the example of the disciples, but just what we said earlier. You and I have fallen short in this area. We don't pray as often as we ought to, as eloquently as we ought to, as fervently as we ought to. And praise God, Jesus is a friend of sinners. Praise God, Jesus came to take all of our shortcomings upon himself. Not only our failures in other ways, right? The big things we can think about, lying and cheating and stealing and all the rest, right? But praise God, he died for our prayerlessness too. 
So even as we take up this topic, right, we begin to think about our failures in regard to prayer. We begin to think about what Jesus wants to teach us about prayer. I want to encourage you to know that our failures in regard to prayer are nothing out of the ordinary, right? This is something we've been struggling with as believers ever since Jesus walked the face of the earth. And the other thing I want to encourage you with is that Jesus has died for all of our failures, all of our sins, uh, even those in regard to prayer. But my second goal is not only do I want to encourage you, I want to motivate you to pray. I don't just simply want to stuff your heads full of information about what prayer is and, and why we ought to pray and all this kind of stuff. What I want to do is I want to encourage you, I want to motivate you to pray. I've found in my own life I need that motivation. I need to be reminded of what prayer is and why I should be praying that God answers prayer. And so I want to motivate you this morning to give your heart, your time, your energy, your focus anew and afresh to praying. And so in that light, I want to do so by looking at three things, three things that come right out of this passage. Uh, the first is that God answers prayer. God answers prayer. And, and you may be sitting there thinking, well, well, we know that, right? It doesn't take much to realize that God answers prayer. And, and yes, that's true. But I think you and I tend to forget that. We tend to allow the qualifications in Scripture to overshadow the grand and glorious truth that God answers prayer. Let me explain what I mean in just a moment. But first, look at verses 9 and 10. Verse 9 and 10 here in Luke chapter 11. Notice what Jesus says. And I tell you, ask and it might be given to you. Seek and you might find. Knock and perhaps, if you're fortunate, right? If you pray the right way, pray the right words, whatever, right fervency, the door might just be open to you, right? No. That's not what verse 9 says in my copy of the Bible. I hope it doesn't say that in yours either, right? Well, don't gloss over that very important fact. Look what Jesus, the, most, the only perfect theologian who has ever walked the face of the earth, says. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Jesus. That's not true. How can, it, how can Jesus say this? Everyone who asks receives. We sometimes get so caught up in the qualifications. We have to ask in the right way. We have to ask in the name of the Lord. We have to ask not with selfish motives, right? James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. You have not, James says. Why? Because you ask not, right? And when you ask, James says, you ask wrongly. To spend it on yourselves, right? To spend on your own passions. We can't expect to go to the Lord asking for a million dollars just so that we can have a bigger house or a nicer car or a nicer life and expect that God's going to give it to us, right? 
But is it, we, we all know that. And we know that Jesus, the perfect Lord, Son of God, we know Him, uh, that He knew that Himself. So what is Jesus doing when He says, without qualification, there, there's no asterisk that Jesus puts here, there's no footnote that Jesus, oh, oh well, let me explain myself here, right? Isn't it fascinating that the only perfect theologian who ever walked the face of the earth didn't feel the need to speak comprehensively here? He didn't feel the need to make sure he was addressing every issue. Why? He wanted, I think, his disciples and he wanted you and me to feel the weight of the reality that God answers prayer. What would it mean? What would we take away? If there was a passage in Scripture, let's say James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, where James says, you have not because you ask not. And then besides talking about asking selfishly, James goes on to list another five or six or seven qualifications that they're in the Bible, right? Ask in Jesus' name. Uh, ask according to God's will. You know, we can just, James just goes on and lists them all out. What would the takeaway be from that? So, I'm sorry, I didn't hear it. You know, or the, wouldn't the takeaway be the opposite, though? Wouldn't the takeaway be we'd, 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 ta we'd lose sight of you have not because you ask not. We'd look at all of the qualifications and we'd get hung up on the qualifications and we'd miss the glorious truth that God answers prayer. And so isn't it fascinating that here Jesus doesn't feel the need to give us all of these qualifications that you and I know are there? And those qualifications are important. Yeah, we don't, need, we don't ask selfishly to spend on ourselves, right? Our own passions uh, and expect to get it. But Jesus doesn't feel the need to lay all of those out here because he wants us to feel the weight of the reality that God answers prayer. You have not because you ask not, James says. And of all the qualifications James gives, could give, he only gives one. Sometimes you and I, especially as Reformed folk, we get so caught up on the qualifications that we miss the grand glorious truth that God answers prayer. So as we think about what part of what Jesus is saying here, is he wants us to feel the reality of this and not minimize it by looking at the qualifications and not think about the qualifications first, but think about this truth first. Everyone who asks receives. If you knew that, wouldn't you pray? Everyone who asks receives. So the first thing I want to do this morning by motivating you and me to pray is to remind us all that God answers prayer. That prayer works. That we have not because we ask not. But the second thing that I want you to see is the kind of prayer that God answers, because it's not just enough to say that God answers prayer, although that is true, and I want you to feel the weight of that upon you, uh, and, and I want to feel it myself this morning. But I, I think we need to see the kind of prayer 
that God answers. And look again at verses 9 and 10. Sometimes we gloss over this. We miss it here in our English Bibles. But if we win, and we, we, we don't have to miss it, but we, uh, we do oftentimes miss it. Look at verse 9. I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. The words ask, seek, and knock are present tense. Okay? Calling you back to high school English here, right? What's the difference between present and, say, past tense? If I say, I am preaching to you, that's present tense. What does it tell you about what's going on? How is that different from me saying, I did preach to you, or I, 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 right, I was preaching to you, right? Or I preached to you. That's past. That's over and done with, isn't it? When I say I am preaching, present tense, it means it's going on now. It's continuous action, right? It shows that ongoing action. I am walking to the store, right? I, I'm, I'm doing it now. And I think the same thing's true what Jesus wants us to see here. In other words, this idea of ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you, shows ongoing, continuous action. Present tense. So what does that mean? It means it's not a one-time asking. Jesus is not saying ask one time and you will, and you will, uh, um, and it'll be given to you, right? Uh, seek one time and you will find. Knock one time and the door will be opened to you. Jesus is saying, ask and keep on asking, and you will, it'll be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. So when we start to think about what kind of prayer it is that God answers, it's a prayer that asks and keeps on asking. It's a prayer that seeks and keeps on seeking. It's a prayer that, that knocks and keeps on knocking. It doesn't take no for an answer, if you will. It says, as Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Right? It's a persevering prayer. And that's the whole point of the story, isn't it? The story that he tells is a beautiful story about a friend who has a friend of his coming to visit him. This, before cell phones, before 24-hour uh, you know, drive-throughs and, and grocery stores and all of that. His friend couldn't pick up the phone, couldn't look at his GPS and say, well, it says I'm going to get there at midnight, so, uh, you know, have some food ready for me, right? He couldn't drive through the McDonald's or what, even Chick-fil-A, right, drive-through and pick up some food on the way to visit his friend. He gets there at midnight. He's famished. He's got nothing to eat. This guy, it, it's midnight. He's got no food. And so what does he do? He goes to see a friend of his and says, look, a friend has come to visit me. I need some bread to put before him. I need some food. And this man says, uh, do not bother me. The door is shut and my children are with me in bed. Which, by the way, is the last place where I want to be with my children. I uh, love my children, but they can be in their own beds, not in my bed uh, with me. Uh, but he says, I cannot get up and give you anything, right? Um, but he says... I tell you, verse 8, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, I'm going to talk about that word impudence in just a moment. But just the context of what Jesus is saying there, you ought to know exactly what he's saying. What is, you ought to know what that word means, right? The word only occurs here in the Greek 
the original Greek only occurs here in the only place in the New Testament. So we don't have a lot to go on in terms of translating it. It's actually a compound word that means something like uh, shamelessness. The idea seems to be obvious, though, from the context. This man is not going to knock one time. I need some bread. No, I'm in bed with my children. Okay, fine. I'll see, you. I'll see you tomorrow. No. He's got to have bread. That's a hospitality culture. We should know something about that here in the South, right? The South has been known for Southern hospitality. We take care of people pre-COVID, um, right? Hopefully post-COVID too. <laughs> and we'll come back to some of that. We've, we're missing that hospitality, aren't we, uh, now in the midst of COVID? Because we can't be with each other anymore uh, the way we used to. But the South's known for our hospitality. And ancient Near East was the same way. Israel in the, in the early uh, centuries, the first century, was a hospitality culture. It was taboo to not have something to set before someone. It was shame, right? And so he's got to have bread. So he doesn't take no for an answer. So he keeps on knocking. He keeps on asking. He keeps on seeking. He's got to have bread. He's desperate for it. There's nowhere else to go. And you see the picture Jesus is laying before us. What kind of prayer is it that God answers? It's that kind of prayer that is shameless. It doesn't take no for an answer. If you will, it's wearing God down in a sense. God can't be worn down. But you see the point is that it goes on asking and asking and asking and asking because it so desperately needs what it's asking for. There's a lot of illustrations I could give of this, and I want to try to move things along. I could speak about this for a long, long time. Um, after I, the church where I pastored for 12 years was destroyed in Hurricane Katrina, I think many of you will know, I've probably mentioned that before, uh, we had about a third of our members in the church lost everything. Uh, we, everybody was affected in some way or another. And I remember just the prayers after the hurricane. We needed food. We needed water. Those are things we take for granted. And thankfully so in a nation in which we live that is wealthy and plentiful, bountiful. But we needed food and drink and gasoline. Basic things, right? And I remember the story that one woman in the congregation told me they had about eight feet of water in their church, they had, in their church, in their home. They had several trees on the house and everything else. They were cleaning out the house at one point, middle of August. The, the hurricane came August 29th. <clears throat> so this was uh, probably uh, late August, early September. Hot in the south, Mississippi. And they had nothing. The water wasn't working. No running water, by the way. No, no way to do anything like that. And she just wanted, she needed some cold water. She wanted water and she wanted ice. And so she prayed. And she said she prayed so emotionally, just weeping before the Lord. No doubt all of the destruction, all of the damage, everything they were going through was part of that prayer. But it was also just the simple longing for cold water. And before she even got up off her knees, she said the van pulled up outside her house and just said, I've got some ice. Anyone here need some ice? 
And it was just a sweet answer to, the, to prayer. But that is the idea, that picture that seems to be painted here by the Lord, is that you and I are to be that kind of persistent and that kind of, of desperate in going to the Lord asking for Him to hear us. God answers prayer. That's the kind of prayer that God answers. And third, the third thing we want to look at in terms of motivating us to pray is the way that God answers prayers, the way that God answers prayer. Look at verses 11 through 13. It's a beautiful little end to this whole section about prayer that Jesus makes here, a capstone to chapter 11. What father among you, Jesus says, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, right? How much more? And goes on from there. Well, notice what Jesus doesn't say here, right? Jesus doesn't say, what father among you, if your son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, or excuse me, what father among you, if your son asks for a fish, will always give him a fish? Or what father among you, if he asks for an egg, will always give him an egg? Jesus doesn't say that. Because he knows parents know better than their children. Mothers and fathers don't always give our children exactly what they ask for when they ask for it. If they ask for a, for a, a fish, we, might, we, we won't always give them a fish. We might give them a fish, but there may be times we don't give them a fish, right? Because we know it's not best for them. If they ask for an egg, we won't always give them an egg, right? We may give them an egg on occasion, right? Maybe most of the time, right? But there are times when we won't because you and I know best what they need. And so I think the point there seems to be God is not always going to give us exactly what we ask for in prayer either. Sometimes when we ask for healing, God doesn't provide it, at least not in this world. Sometimes when we ask for ice, God doesn't provide it. Sometimes he does. Maybe many times he does. But he doesn't always give us what we ask for. Why? Because God is a good father. And he knows what, us, what we need as his children better than we do. But Jesus says more than that, doesn't he? Look at verse 13. It's not just, not just that God doesn't always give us what we ask for. But notice what he says in verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, isn't that interesting? Why the Holy Spirit? What's Luke trying to tell us here in recording Jesus' words in this way? If you remember in the parallel account in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, the Sermon on the Mount, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, Matthew records Jesus as saying, Something like this, how much more will the Heavenly Father give good things to those who ask Him? So when we try to look at what Luke is trying to say here by way of Holy Spirit, we have to understand what Luke is saying here in, uh, together with what he says in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is not contradicting himself. He's not speaking out of both sides of his mouth. In other words, we have to put both of these things together to understand what both of them mean. 
When Matthew says good things and, G- and Jesus here says, uh, Matthew has Jesus say good things and Luke says that Jesus says Holy Spirit, we take those things together. So the good things and the Holy Spirit have to be understood as complementing, as fitting together. So that when we ask, Jesus is saying, how much more will the Heavenly Father give, I think, the Holy Spirit and the good things of the Holy Spirit, right? Or we might say good things pertaining to the Spirit, or we might say even simply spiritual things. So I think what Jesus is saying here is not only that God doesn't always give us what we ask for when we ask for it, as we ask for it, but that Jesus will always, or the Lord will always give us the Holy Spirit and spiritual good things when we ask, or whenever we ask, right, for. In other words, when you and I ask for healing, He may not give us physical healing, but he will give us spiritual healing. When you and I ask for blessing, he may not give us the blessing that we think we have in mind. It may be spiritual blessing. What I'm suggesting to you is that God always answers our prayers. There is, in my opinion, no prayer of ours that goes unanswered. God may not answer it in, in the way we intend it. So in that sense, it's unanswered, right? But God does answer it, I'm suggesting. He answers it for things that are better than what we've asked for. One of the, well, I think it was the only Ligonier conference I've ever been to was when I was a student at RTS myself many, many years ago. Uh, this dates me to some degree uh, in 2000. Uh, 20, 21 years ago now, I was a student and was, um, uh, went to the Ligonier Conference in Orlando. James Montgomery Boyce, if you know that name, was uh, scheduled to speak at this conference and actually died in, during the midst of this conference. And I still remember uh, R.C. coming to the stage and saying, Boyce has just passed on to glory. Uh, and there was just a moment, a hush that kind of fell over the congregation. It was a moving time. But as part of that conference, Johnny Erickson Tata came and spoke and did a wonderful, wonderful job. I had known of Johnny uh, before then, had read something of her story. We even had uh, some of her paintings in my home growing up. And so I had known Johnny's story. But, but, but hearing her testimony from her own lips was quite moving. Johnny, if you don't know anything about her, you need to. Uh, she is a, she's a, a phenomenal woman, uh, paraplegic. Uh, she's about my mom's age, so she must be mid-70s or so now. Um, when she was 17 or so years old, she dove into the Chesapeake and hit the bottom, broke her neck. And immediately she was telling the story as they take her to the hospital. She's in traction. She's lying in the hospital room. She can't turn her head. She is just weeping, pleading with the Lord to heal her. And she says she was hearing people pass through in the hallway in the hospital room, and, and she couldn't help but, but be reminded of that hymn uh, that pass me not, O gentle Savior. Right? Uh, While on others you are calling, do not pass me by. 
And that was her plea. She said as she sat there in the hospital room, couldn't move her head, in traction, not knowing what the future had in store, pleading with the Lord as he's there, if you will, making his rounds, right, in the hospital, that he would visit her with healing and take this away. 17 years old. She said about 33 or 34 years later, she was with her husband on a trip to Israel. She's in her wheelchair. God didn't heal her. She's been a paraplegic ever since. She was in her wheelchair, and they were visiting the pool at Bethesda. If you remember the story in John 5, where the man who had been an invalid for 38 years was there and was eventually healed. And she said the whole story came rushing back to her. And not only that, but it had been 33, 34 years since she had been uh, in this wheelchair. So she had been, if you will, just like this man for almost the same period of time. And here she was at the pool of Bethesda. And all of those prayers in the hospital room came flooding back to her. And she said for the first time in 34 years, it dawned on her that a no answer to her prayer for healing had been a yes answer to her prayer. God had not passed her by. He didn't give her exactly what she was asking for, but he answered her prayer. He gave her far more spiritually. And the platform and the ministry for spiritual impact and spiritual good that Johnny has had since that accident is almost incalculable for you and me. We'll see it one day when we get to glory, right? We'll see some of what the Lord used Johnny Erickson Tata to do and the lives that she's been able to touch. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. He doesn't always give us what we ask for when we pray. But God answers prayer. Prayer that asks and keeps on asking, that seeks and keeps on seeking, that knocks and keeps on knocking. And God answers prayer, and he answers it spiritually, always. He's far more concerned about spiritual healing than he is about physical healing. He's far more concerned about spiritual blessing than he is about physical blessing. God answers prayer. When you and I pray, it's not that our prayers somehow fall to the ground unheard and unanswered. No, I'm convinced that as we sit in the hospital and we plead with the Lord for the life of a loved one, that our Heavenly Father, who is good, hears all of those cries. He may not always give us exactly what we ask for, but he hears them and he answers them spiritually, at least, if not in the way we ask for them. And I think that's what Jesus wants us to see as a motivation for us to pray. God answers prayer. The kind of prayer he answers is one that is persistent and dependent and desperate and pleads with him, longing for him to hear. And the way that God answers it is spiritually, spiritual 
good things. Not always the way that we ask it. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, how grateful we are for this time to meditate upon your word. We pray that you'd write its truths upon our hearts, that you'd forgive us of our sins, even those sins in prayerlessness. We come confessing that to you, Father. We have not prayed as often as we ought. Remind us that you answer prayer. Help us to be diligent and persistent, to ask and keep on asking, to seek and keep on seeking, to knock and keep on knocking, to be shameless in that persistence. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to walk by faith and not by sight, knowing that you may not always give us exactly what we ask for, but you will hear our cry, and you will not, as Johnny said, you will not pass us by. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his teaching ministry. We thank you that he's a friend of sinners. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.